Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge from Gateway Seminary talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today I want to talk about something that uh, might not seem that interesting to you at first, but I hope that you'll stay with me through the podcast and learn some new information and insight about how our denomination works. Now, I know most of you that listen to this podcast are probably Southern Baptists, but some of you may not be. That's okay, because the principles I'm going to talk about today, while they are sort of uh, tilted toward how our denomination works, really are the principles about how large organizations like denominations or other ministry organizations govern themselves. I want to talk to you today about something called the trustee process. Now, the week of this podcast uh, is the week that our board of trustees will be meeting here at Gateway Seminary, and so it's a very uh, common part of my experience to relate to and deal with trustees. Uh, For some of you, though, they're sort of a mystery people. Who are all these trustees that run all these different agencies in Southern Baptist life and in state convention life and in associational life? Who are all these trustees? How do they get elected? Uh, How do you get those jobs? What do they do? Why do we only hear about them when something goes wrong in an organization? Uh, Why do they do so much of their work uh, behind the scenes and, and, and not more of it out in public? I mean, these are all the kinds of questions that I want to see if I can help address today. First of all, when it comes to the trustee process, there are some common misunderstandings. The first one is that the trustee process is political and that all trustees are people with an agenda. Well, I I won't say that there's not some trustees that have had an agenda or there may not be some organizations that are agenda-driven, but quite frankly, that's not been my experience here at Gateway Seminary. Uh, Our trustees are, are not really politically driven either by national politics or by local politics or certainly not by denominational politics. I was counting up, I've had uh, 119 different trustees that I've worked with here at the seminary. And in all of that time, uh, and among all that group, there's really only about two that I would describe as having any kind of agenda that was outside the well-being and welfare of our seminary. And because they were so uh, few, they really never had any influence uh, in the board itself or in, among other trustees in what, in what they may have wanted to accomplish. So while, yes, there may be some trustees who have some political agendas that are uh, motivated by outside forces, it's a pretty rare thing in our board, at least, and I think it's a pretty rare thing for most of our boards. The second thing that's a misunderstanding is sometimes people feel threatened by the trustees. Uh, you know, here at the seminary, for example, the trustees come in and they meet and they make all these really important decisions. And uh, the staff and faculty, and I think sometimes even students feel like, well, what are they going to do to us? Or what are they going to do uh, that we'll have to respond to? And they feel a little bit threatened by the fact that they may make decisions that are uh, challenging for us to implement. But really, that's not a threat. That's their job. The trustees are here to give oversight, to take a look at what we're doing, to offer correction where we're off track, to offer applause when we're on track. Uh, The the Board of Trustees is really here to make important and sometimes difficult decisions, but those are not a threat to us. They're actually for our well-being. Another misunderstanding about trustees is that they're disconnected from grassroots Baptist life or disconnected from the really uh, practical, down-to-earth, challenging task of ministry leadership that we face here at the seminary. 
that all trustees come from big churches or they're all uh, executives in big companies and that they're all really wealthy people that have big money. And because of that, they're just not really connected with the normal uh, rank and file of Baptist life. That is absolutely not true. Uh, Our trustees are not like that at all. Uh, Now, occasionally, we get a trustee from a big church. And uh, from time to time, we get a trustee that's an executive in a big company. And occasionally, uh, pretty rarely actually, we get a trustee that has very significant financial resources. Those are the exceptions, though. Most of our trustees on our board come from small churches. Uh, They work in uh, medium-sized to small businesses, and they have... uh, limited means. Now, they're comfortable in their finances in that they've achieved in most uh, cases some level of success in their church or their company, but that doesn't mean that they're independently wealthy or anything like that. They're just uh, people that we would look at and say um, they're, you know, they're moderately successful people that we would want to, uh, that we would look to as, as good examples of what maybe the most of us could aspire to. And so these misunderstandings that trustees are political, that they're a threat, that they are disconnected, these things are simply not true. They are instead um, people who have the, 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 the best interests of the organization at heart. They are people there who want to make the hard decision or are willing to make the hard decisions, but they're not a threat to organizational life, and they're not disconnected in any way. They are, in fact, in fact, uh, a good cross-section of Baptist life and what Baptists are like out there in the churches. So having said that, how do people get to be trustees, and why is this process so important for us? Well, uh, let me see if I can walk quickly through some pretty profound uh, reasons why we have to have a trustee process. First of all, the seminary and the other entities like the International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, all the other entities of the Southern Baptist Convention, we are all owned by the Southern Baptist Convention. There is no question about that. That's who owns us. But it would be impossible for us to be governed by the Southern Baptist Convention. Owned and governed are two very different things. While we are wholly owned by the convention, imagine the chaos if every summer we went to the Southern Baptist Convention and asked the people assembled there to govern our seminary. It would be impossible to do that. And so, recognizing the impossibility of that situation, the the convention that owns us adopted a set of rules to govern us. And the first rule is that the trustees will be selected by the convention and they will have the responsibility for all the affairs related to our school. Uh, There's really only two things that the the seminary board of trustees can't do. Number one, and we found this out a few years ago, Uh, The Seminary Board of Trustees can't change our name. Why is that? Because we're actually named in the bylaws of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, That's where our uh, identity originates. And so when we wanted to change our name from Golden Gate to Gateway, we actually had to ask the convention to change its bylaws. And when they changed their bylaws, that gave us the legal permission then to change our name. The second thing the Board of Trustees cannot do is they cannot liquidate the seminary's assets meaning the Board of Trustees cannot meet, vote to sell the seminary, and give the money away. Uh, now you say, that's not likely to happen. Well, it's not legally possible for it to happen either. But those are the only two restrictions that are really placed on our Board of Trustees. Beyond that, 
The Southern Baptist Convention has said to our board, you govern Gateway Seminary and report that governance back to us. Now you say, well, what happens if the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't like the way the Board of Trustees is governing the seminary? Well, they only have one alternative, replace the board. They can't micromanage the board or second-guess the board or, listen to this, even give a directive to the board. They can only replace the board. We saw this uh, last summer in our Southern Baptist Convention when one of our other seminaries went through kind of a rough time. And there was a lot of uh, angst and chaos about some decisions their board of trustees had made. And some people said the Southern Baptist Convention needs to mandate that board take certain actions. And those uh, motions were ruled out of order or were or set aside as not being uh, ap applicable. The only thing the convention could do was recall the board. And there was actually some um, movement or energy toward that. And it, it failed uh, overwhelmingly because the Southern Baptist Convention recognizes even when boards struggle to get the right decision, and even when they struggle with decisions they're making, and even when they make decisions that may not be exactly what some would have wanted, we still have to trust the boards to get the work done because the alternative is to bring all those decisions to the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's going to create a greater chaos than any of us could even imagine or want. So we're owned by the Southern Baptist Convention, but we're governed by our Board of Trustees. The Board of Trustees is actually elected by the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, then given almost complete authority and responsibility for governing the seminary. Now you might say, well, how, do they, how does the Southern Baptist Convention actually select the board? Well, here's how that works. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention appoints something called the Committee on Committees, and that's two people from every state convention. And that committee meets, and they select something called the Committee on Nominations, and that's also two people from every state convention. You say, why the doubling of the committees? Well, for several reasons, but a practical one is to simply get more grassroots people involved and to get a greater voice in the process than just one person. So while the president of the Southern Baptist Convention has some significant appointive powers related to these committees, he himself does not select the trustees for the schools or for the entities. So he, elects, he, he appoints the committee on committees, that, which elects a committee on nominations, which, uh, or excuse me, which, which brings forward a committee on nominations, which then is selected by the Southern Baptist Convention and given the responsibility of bringing forward a slate of trustees. Now, when they bring their report, they bring it to the floor of the whole Southern Baptist Convention, and it gets discussed there and ultimately gets adopted. Now, that report was released uh, uh, just a few days ago, and we already know who our new trustees will be coming on our board this summer. Is it, at least we know who will be nominated to the convention, and they'll, if elected, start serving on our board uh, immediately after the convention uh, uh, adjourns. So that's how the trustees get selected. The president appoints a committee, which then nominates a secondary committee, which then nominates all the slate of the trustees. But you might be asking, well, how do I get to be one of those trustees? That's a great question because, frankly, I hope some of you who are hearing this podcast will someday be trustees for Southern Baptist entities. How do you get there? Well, first of all, serve effectively in your church. Uh, that's the most important thing you can do because 
the trustees are selected from people who are actively leading in their churches. In fact, on the evaluation form that is used to determine if a person is eligible to serve in a church, uh, as a trustee, they're asked specifically, what is your church involvement? How, what are you doing in, in and through the ministry of your church? Do you contribute financially to your church's ministry? And so first of all, get involved effectively in your church. Then second, uh, take every opportunity to be involved in your association and your state convention. Uh, this is where grassroots Baptist work gets done. Your association of churches has a board of trustees, often called the executive board of an association. And that board functions in the same way that the board of trustees functions for Gateway Seminary. And so get involved there when asked, or, get, or make it known to the leadership in your area that you'd be willing to serve and you'd like to serve, both to make a contribution and to learn more about what it means to serve in these kind of capacities. Do the same thing for your state convention. So first of all, get plugged in and aggressively working in your local church. And second, <clears throat> make yourself available Make yourself available uh, in your local association and in your state convention to serve. A third step is to be aware of larger SBC issues. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be a social media junkie or you have to follow every person who's out there writing about anything going on in SBC life, but you do need to be aware of what's happening in the larger denomination and have an interest in it uh, that you would be willing to serve and that you're open to serve and that you're informing yourself in case that possibility ever happens. And then finally... Ask God to let you have the opportunity, but don't campaign for it. Uh, you might think, well, I need to send out some resumes, or I need to let some people know that I want to serve, or I need to put my name out there and try to get on one of these boards. That is generally the fastest way to get excluded. Because anytime someone does that, the natural suspicion is raised. What are they trying to accomplish? What are they trying to do? What is all this about? You'd be far wiser to plug yourself into your local church, Make yourself available at your association and state convention level by getting involved in those places and, and rising to leadership at the, in those areas. And then by doing so, uh, making it clear by your commitments, your lifestyle, and your investment of, those, of time in those uh, areas that you would be a good person that would be asked to serve in the national trustee system. Now, if you do get asked to serve, it's a high honor. Uh, there are about 800 people serving at any given time as trustees in Southern Baptist entities. That's out of about 15 or 16 million Southern Baptists. There's only been 119 trustees that have been on our board during my 15 years at Gateway. It is a very high honor to be asked to be a trustee. And if you are asked, uh, thank God for it and take advantage of the opportunity for service because it will be one of the most rewarding but also one of the most taxing responsibilities you'll ever have in ministry leadership. Now, having laid out why we need trustees and how you can become a trustee, let me talk a little more specifically about what trustees actually do. The trustees have, uh, have the role and responsibility of holding Gateway Seminary or whatever entity they are, are assigned to, holding that entity in trust for the Southern Baptist Convention, and holding the entity to be trustworthy for the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, there are three primary areas where the Board of Trustees hold the trust of both the convention and the entity in hand. Number one, doctrinal. 
It is the responsibility of the Board of Trustees to make sure that the entity maintains its doctrinal integrity. Now, this can be confusing because people say, well, I don't think the seminary always agrees with what I believe the Bible teaches. Well, that's not really the point. We're not trying as the seminary or a mission board or an agency of the SBC to agree with every single church's interpretation of every single doctrine. We're held to one doctrinal standard, and that is the doctrinal standard of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Now, we may believe more than that, but that's what the, we, may be, we, we may believe different interpretations within that, but nevertheless, the doctrinal standard by which we're held accountable is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Every trustee signs a document when they come to the seminary that says, I will lead the seminary in accordance with and not contrary to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And they, our trustees take that very seriously. And that means two things. It means they have to make sure that we don't compromise the Baptist faith in Message 2000. But here's an important point. It also means that we don't go beyond it. Now, this is a challenging part of Southern Baptist life because there are people who believe things that are more narrow than the Baptist faith in Message teaches, and they want the seminaries or the mission boards um, or the other entities to, to uh, embrace their more narrow definitions and to hold to those as their doctrinal standards. That is not what the Board of Trustees is responsible to do for our school. They are responsible to make sure that we hold to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 in all of its beautiful generality, but yet also not compromise it at any point which would make us teaching, teach something uh, that's outside our doctrinal statement. The second area is there to hold the seminary in trust related to its mission or its missional commitments. Now, our mission is shaping leaders to expand God's kingdom around the world, but uh, the Southern Baptist Convention generally uh, speaks to us in terms of our ministry assignment, which is theological education, leadership development, preparing people for church and ministry leadership. And so the Board of Trustees' responsibility is to make sure we do that, to make sure we don't get off into areas that really aren't our purview or our assignment. Now, you might be surprised, but the seminary gets asked to do this all the time. Uh, we're specifically asked, uh, particularly asked, to get involved more directly in church planting or in uh, social justice issues like abortion or same-sex marriage or political action. And while we have a voice on all these issues, and while we're trying to prepare leaders who can stand up in the churches appropriately for these issues, taking on those issues as our issue is not our role or our mandate. And so the Board of Trustees makes sure that we stay on our business, our mission, and keep our missional integrity. And then the third area is our financial integrity. Uh, the Board of Trustees is responsible to hold in trust our financial integrity and to make sure that we uh, fulfill all of our financial obligations and that we report in every way that we're supposed to report, that we are audited in every way we're supposed to be audited. And our board reviews all these documents every year to make sure that we are on track in that area. So a board of trustees, at least at, the, at our seminary, holds our seminary in trust for the Southern Baptist Convention and makes sure that we are trustworthy in these three areas, our doctrine, our mission, our finances. Doctrinal, missional, financial integrity. Those are the areas the board focuses on. Now, the role and responsibility of trustees beyond that is, is, uh, has a twofold task. First of all, the trustees set policy, but they do not administrate policy. 
and they hold and they and they uh, they hold us accountable, or they maintain accountability, but they do not do direct supervision of seminary operations. Now, let me say that again because that is an incredibly important distinction. Trustees are responsible for policy and accountability. They are not responsible for administration or for supervision. Now, what does this mean practically? Well, it means that the Board of Trustees adopts a, pol a budget, which is a policy document. And that budget establishes some spending limits and establishes some spending priorities. Now, it's my responsibility, along with the other administrators at Gateway Seminary, to administrate that budget. So the Board of Trustees may say, we're budgeting for this many faculty positions or this many staff positions, but it's our responsibility as administrators <clears throat> to select the people who work in those positions um, and to make sure that we have the right people doing the right work uh, every day here at the seminary. So while the board sets general policy, the administration administrates or works out that policy in day-to-day -day operation. Uh, and so the board then holds us accountable for policy, but not supervises our daily activity. What that means is that the board, for example, adopts an investment policy that governs our endowment. But our financial leadership leaders here have to make daily decisions about the managing of those funds, but always within the context of the policies. And so at the end of the year, uh, we report not every day's decisions, but we report uh, the policy documents and the results that we've achieved and how they are within policy guidelines. And if they're outside, any variance and a reason for that variance and then a correction that we've put into place to get us back into alignment with the policy. So whether, whether it's financial policies or investment policies or uh, personnel policies or uh, our, uh, operational policies, the Board of Trustees adopts policy and then the administration is to put that into policy into place. The Board of Trustees then holds us accountable for those policies being implemented but doesn't get involved in the day-to-day -day supervision of what those responsibilities look like. Uh, I'll just give you a very practical example of this. A few years ago, uh, when we were at our old campus, a student complained to a trustee and said, the seminary, uh, my shower is broken in my apartment and no one from the seminary will come and fix it. Now, the trustee did the exact right thing. He said, I hear your complaint and I will address it with the president. And the trustee came to me and said, I heard this complaint and uh, I'm turning it over to you to take care of however you see fit. Now, that is a trustee who recognizes that their job is not policy administration or supervision of employees. Their job is to set policy and hold accountable and let me handle the day-to-day -day operational needs of the seminary. If that trustee had said to that student, I'll take care of this, and marched himself over to the director of facilities and said, get somebody over there and fix that shower right now, that would have been completely inappropriate because now the trustee has moved away from policy and accountability and is into uh, administration and supervision. It's interesting how that story turned out. I went to the director of facilities and said, hey, listen, I got a complaint from a student through a trustee about a shower. And he said, oh, you mean student Smith? And I said, oh, yeah, you know this student. He goes, yes, I of course know this student. Uh, they told me their shower is broken. They sent a work order in. We made an appointment to be there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We went there. No one was at the apartment. We can't go into a, a locked apartment unless it's an emergency situation. So 
We left them a note after waiting for 15 minutes and said, please reschedule. Uh, they called and rescheduled. Uh, we went back the next time for the meeting. They didn't show up again. So, Mr. President, uh, they've missed two scheduled maintenance appointments with us, and I don't think we've done anything wrong in this situation. We'll fix their shower as soon as they're there to unlock the door to let us in. So this was an instance where a student was complaining inappropriately about something that really was not the seminary's fault, and that's why when a trustee gets involved uh, inappropriately, it can cause chaos, but if they get involved appropriately, even in a situation like that, it can in re resolve in a much better situation. So third, uh, the tr first, the, whole, the Board of Trustees holds the seminary in trust, and second, they have twofold tasks, a policy and accountability, but third, uh, here at the seminary, because we're a school, we operate with something called a shared governance model. Now, shared governance is a big deal in the accrediting world, and so the trustees recognize that while they are ultimately in charge of the seminary, they share the governance of the seminary with the faculty who's responsible for the academic program, and they share the governance with the administration who's responsible for the day-to-day -day operations. Now, let's talk about the academic program for a minute. You say, well, how do the trustees control the academic program? By setting out the parameters. They approve the faculty that are elected to full-time positions. They approve the degrees that the seminary can offer and what duration and, and length and, and substance will be in those degrees. But they don't approve the exact curriculum. They don't approve syllabi. They don't get involved with selecting textbooks or anything like that. They say, here are the big picture of what we want to accomplish in the, in the academic world. Here's the degrees we want to offer. Here's the faculty that we can support to offer those degrees. And here are the outcomes we're expecting to, to, to be generated by this program. Now, faculty, you govern all of that by creating the details of the course templates, the learning outcomes, the learning competencies, the class syllabi, the textbook selections, the actual assignments. That's the faculty's business. And their responsibility is to make sure that all of that that fulfills the policy directives of the board to offer these degrees in such a way that our mission is being accomplished. So it's a beautiful model. It looks a little cumbersome from the outside, but it's really not when you're working on it from the inside. And it is a far better alternative than trying to do all of our Baptist business on the floor of major convention meetings, either at the national level or at the state level. So today, I want to say a positive word about the trustee process. I am grateful to God that he's given us the wisdom to sort out a way for 16 million Southern Baptists to elect about 800 of their peers to go out and lead these agencies on a consistent basis to do the kind of work that needs to be done to advance God's kingdom. Now, you say, well, does it really work? Well, consider the outcomes. Southern Baptists have six of the ten largest seminaries in North America. We have two of the largest mission boards in the world. We have, one of the, lar we have the largest Christian publishing company and the largest religious uh, retirement and benefits uh, fund or organization in the world. Southern Baptists have produced organizations, uh, entities we call them, that are making dramatic and significant kingdom impact. And we've been able to do that because we have trust. Our denomination selects its uh, people from among its membership that it then trusts to hold accountable and to set good policy so that we might have entities that accomplish the doctrine, the mission, and the, with doctrinal, missional, and financial integrity, the work that we've been assigned to do. So I thank God that this week our trustees are meeting. I'm thankful that God has given us such a good system to work in. And I challenge you, even though if you're a young leader, 
to think long-term about where in 10, 15 years you might be as God gives you the opportunity to lead in one of these contexts. And if he does, remember, even then, lead on.